Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Meet the man who saved another man from drowning at Bayfront Park. Premier Doug Ford continues to dodge the EA inquiry. Another call for the province to boost ODSP payments. We have some tips to keep safe this Halloween. Who is the scariest movie character of all time? And the Canadian men's soccer team prepares to take on the world. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Let's take you back to Bayfront. Park Thursday night. Free, free, free! Come on! Come on! The cops are here, come on! Absolute tense moments, high drama Thursday night, where uh, in and around 9.30 Thursday night, a couple of guys are fishing on the dock at Bayfront Park. You know, it's not very uncommon at all. And so they hear something kind of in the distance, and they see what is a vehicle in the water just off the boat launch headlights are still on it's quickly submerged in the water and these two uh, individuals run towards the vehicle and realize there's a guy in this vehicle and this guy in the vehicle is kind of fumbling around and they're thinking all right he's going to get out he's trying to get out of the vehicle the vehicle quickly is completely underwater the door of the car opens and again, these two people on the dock are thinking, all right, this guy's getting out. The issue is, this man in the car did not get out. So that's when Sean Farquharson from Fisherville, Ontario, jumped in action. Yes, he jumped into the water, into Bayfront Park, to save this man. And Sean joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Sean, good morning. How are you? Hi, how's it going? I'm good. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Man, take us back to Bayfront Park, 9.30, you hear the splash, you jump into the water to save this guy's life. What's going through your mind? Uh, well, honestly, just lots of adrenaline and uh, just wanted to help somebody, you know? I, I couldn't watch him die. I had to do something and no one else could go in, so it fell on me. Y- you and your buddy were on the dock. How how quickly did you decide that I got to be the one to jump in there? Well... Honestly, I knew that like hypothermia could be a risk and all that, so I didn't want to go in until I knew it was absolutely necessary. So basically, the second his head went under, I was ready to go. And from what I hear, you do not have CPR training. No. <laughs> I've watched a few movies, though. And did that help you? Uh, yeah, honestly. Uh, knowing to do the chest compressions and just kind of, I knew to plug the nose, blow in the mouth, but that's pretty much it. So you had to drag this individual, pull this individual out of the car, which is underwater. Tell us about that struggle. That was pretty rough, actually. Um, when I first reached into the car, I was kind of felt around for the seatbelt just to make sure that wasn't around him. Um, luckily, it kind of slipped right off of him as I started pulling. I got his head out first and then reached out, kind of felt around again just to make sure that I realized the seatbelt wasn't completely around him anymore so i just pulled and he slipped right out of there and you pull him onto the top of the car you're doing cpr you're breathing into him you got the chest compressions going finally police arrive literally like a couple minutes after this all begins what is going through your mind there must have been a tremendous sense of relief oh yeah <laughs> tremendous actually I, I turned around and that's the video i started screaming that someone, someone could get over there and actually knew what they were doing so 
have you spoken to the man who, who I mean, you saved his life. Have you connected with him? I haven't talked to him yet, but I, uh, I did talk to someone the other day who says he knows their family, and they're going to try and get me in contact with them as soon as possible. This has certainly changed that man's life. How has this incident changed your life? Um, well, I'm getting a lot of attention now, honestly. Um, been, my phone's been blowing up left and right, uh, a lot of praise and whatnot. Um, someone even started to go fund me for me to buy my Jeep. It's crazy. It's crazy how many people are so, I don't know, amazed by such behavior. I, I just, honestly, I see it as something that anybody should and would do. Well, in saying that, uh, you know, much-deserved praise should be heaped on you. You are uh, definitely a hero saving uh, another individual's life in uh, a harrowing uh, scene and harrowing conditions. Uh, Sean, thanks for joining us today, and uh, who knows? Uh, you know, the, the city should put you in lights, give you the key to the city, because uh, you've done a phenomenal job. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, no problem there. You have a great day. You too. That's Sean Farquharson from Fisherville, Ontario, a hero saving another man's life who nearly drowned in a submerged vehicle at Bayfront Park Thursday night. Absolutely amazing. And, yeah, you or I, in that position, we probably would have jumped in the water, I would think. Sean did so. Split-second decision, made the decision to go in and, uh, and save the guy's life. Unbelievable. Way to go, Sean. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. From day one, Mr. Speaker, for Ontario, this was a, a policing matter. It was not a political matter. And the opposition knows, Mr. Speaker, politicians don't direct the police. Now that is Premier Doug Ford under fire for continuing to refuse to testify. The Emergencies Act inquiry, we're also hearing the documents reveal... Uh, the questions that the lawyers want him to answer, well, uh, the Premier, I guess, uh, is thinking, no, I don't want to go on the hot seats. Will he? And if so, when will it happen? Uh, also, we're going to talk about uh, what the Education Minister is planning to do later on in Queen's Park today. John Fraser is the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Mr. Fraser, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good morning, Rick. The uh, Premier remains adamant that he is not going to go on the hot seat at the Emergencies Act inquiry. What does this say about him and the provincial government's response to the occupation in Ottawa? Well, uh, thanks very much, Rick. Well, you you have to look back to what happened last February. In the streets of Ottawa, for two weeks, uh, there was just an incredible amount of lawlessness. You know, uh, women didn't feel safe walking to work. Families couldn't enjoy parks. Businesses were shuttered. And uh, the Ford government, the premier in particular, did nothing for two weeks. Uh, we didn't hear anything for the first five days. The government then claimed they were sending 1,500 police officers or OPP officers to Ottawa. And then we found out the number was more like 50 or 60. They were talking person days. So, you know, I think the residents, I don't think, I know the residents of Ottawa felt abandoned by that. But, but what they wanted was the premier to say, I'm here to help. I'm going to work with the other levels of government, which he refused to do. Very clearly, you heard from the mayor's testimony. And I think, you know, people expect their leaders, when it comes to their public safety and security, to work together and for all of them to be there. And I think that's why the premier has to, uh, has to testify. 
You know, at one point, Premier Ford said he stood shoulder to shoulder with the Prime Minister. We heard from uh, former Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson saying, listen, that wasn't the case. Transcripts between Watson and the PM uh, were basically, you know, throwing Mr. Ford under the bus because he was reluctant to participate in their in their meetings. Uh, this this is really mind boggling. This is uh, this is not leadership. Yeah, no, no, it's, it is definitely uh, not leadership. I, again, you know, it was literally what the premier was doing is saying, I don't want this to be my problem. I don't want to get involved. This is somebody else's problem. And the person, people who it was the most problem for are the people who lived in downtown Ottawa. Uh, it was really, um, you know, their neighborhoods were taken over. And, uh, and, and they were left feeling very unsafe in the place where they lived. And the premier was like, I, I, it's not my, you know, it's not my job. Well, it's all of our jobs when people's safety uh, and public security is threatened. And, you know, I was, you know, said last week, you know, three premiers when they've been called to testify either in front of committees or in, at court have all waived parliamentary privilege, you know, Premier Harris, Premier McGinty, Premier Wynne, because that's the job. And uh, the premier shouldn't be shirking his responsibility. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is John Fraser, Ontario Liberal leader. We're talking about uh, Premier Ford's reluctance to testify at the Emergencies Act inquiry. The uh, the Ford government has said, "Listen, we'll, we'll give you all the evidence you need. Uh, you know, other officials can testify, uh, but not Ford and not former Solicitor General Sylvia Jones." Do you get the sense that they're trying to hide something? Well, I, I you know. To- to be honest, if I was, you know, if I was, I think the premier's ashamed. I think he knows he made a bad decision. I don't think he wants to have to answer for that. I mean, people in Ottawa suffered. It was the wrong thing to do. And, you know, if we don't, you know, we all don't like the tough questions, whether it comes to our family life or our business life, but we've got to answer them. That's, and especially if you're a leader, you've got to answer for the decisions that you made, right or wrong. Want to shift gears to uh, education because we're expecting to hear a uh, an announcement from Education Minister Stephen Lecce later on at Queens Park to basically put an end or avert uh, what is a looming strike by CUPE education workers in this province and imposing a contract on them. What are your thoughts on this ordeal? Well, you know, I uh, first off, I think uh, imposing contracts uh, has um, you know the courts frown on that. We've seen that in Bill One Fifteen, which happened in twenty twelve. Uh, I, you know, I think that, um, look, families are exhausted from the game of chicken that's going on right now. And what should be happening is there should be a fair process where uh, schools stay open and the government comes to a fair deal with education workers. You remember, these are the lowest paid workers in our schools. They're the people who, uh, without schools, Without them, schools would not be able to open. Custodial staff, educational assistants, uh, office administrators. My, my mother-in-law used to be, was, uh, when she was alive, was one of them. She was a, what they called the school secretary. So these are people who are essential to schools. And, uh, and I think the government is, you know, it actually smells a lot like Bill 124, uh, what the government's proposing, which, you know, put a cap on nurses' wages. I don't think that's... Uh, the way to treat people who work for you, I think you have to bargain with them fairly. Uh, and, uh, and, but we'll wait and see what the government's going to propose. So. I'm sure there's other teachers' unions and education unions out there thinking, uh-oh, like, here's the precedent. 
Well, you know, if uh, the government is using uh, the lowest paid employees in schools, lowest paid staff, to send a signal to other workers by imposing a contract, I don't think that's the right thing to do. Again, it smells like Bill 124 where they cap nurses' wages at 1%, and we've seen what's happened to that in the healthcare system. Remember, we depend, families depend on uh, on the people who work in our schools, the people who teach our children, the people who make sure schools are safe, the schools who make sure schools are organized. So, you know, I think it's incumbent on the government to have a good relationship, uh, and the union as well, too, in the interests of families. Just back to the inquiry, just for a second. Uh, your best guess, if you had to bet on it, do you think the premier testifies? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I think he's. Uh, um, I, you know, I, I think that uh, there's a good chance that he'll win uh, in court uh, with parliamentary privilege. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, he, even if he wins in court tomorrow, he's going to continue to lose in the court of public opinion. And the best thing for him to do to win there would be to testify. I don't think he'll do it. John, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rick. Take care. That is John Fraser, the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, advocates are calling for a more robust social safety net. They're holding a third rally for ODSP in front of Queen's Park today. And uh, our next guest will be there. Anthony Frazina is the director of media relations at the Ontario Disability Coalition. Anthony, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Hey, before we dive into this, uh, you were recently involved in uh, an awesome, accessible Halloween event in Hamilton. How did it go? Uh, it was phenomenal. We did it over at uh, Cartier Crescent, and we really taught the community, not only for people with disabilities, but people with and without disabilities, families, children, etc., how to treat uh, more accessibly so everybody can have an inclusive Halloween alike, which was phenomenal. And that's an important message tonight as well. Um, you know, have the, the uh, I guess, uh, uh, treat giving more accessible to those who may not be able to get up the stairs on a, on a porch or, or something to that effect. Absolutely. Trick-or-treating at the end of the, the driveway or in the garage if it's raining, for example. Have the treats uh, at, a, at an accessible level. You know, lower the, the scary noises. Uh, have uh, no uh, lighting that may con may uh, affect a a person as well. Just kind of be more um, available to that as well. Good tips. Uh, what is happening today? It's another rally for ODSP at Queens Park. What are we expecting? Yeah. So the ODSP Action Coalition, the Ontario Disability Coalition, and Double OCSP now are calling on the government to take greater action to to Double ODSP. Uh, as of September, we did receive the five percent increase on the ODSP checks, but it's simply not good enough. As the cost of living is going up, as uh, inflation goes up, you really, people with disabilities are are being left to suffer. You know, they're, they're called, they're thinking about, you know, MAID, for example, where the, the drastic actions for people with disabilities, because we're not getting what we need to survive is just horrible for, for people with disabilities at this point. What's the impact of inflation been like? Because, uh, you know, those ODSP rates have gone up 5%, as you mentioned, but I- inflation is well above that. Absolutely. So it, the 5% really doesn't do as much as it would, given the inflation rates, the impact of inflation, given the impact of the cost of living going up. I mean, the ODSP right now, the, the amount to cover a shelter 
is just over $500. And really, you can't get anything adequate for $500 in Hamilton, let alone all across Ontario. This, as I mentioned, is the third rally for ODSP in front of Queen's Park. Uh, Previous rallies have been held over the last number of months. What has the response been like from the government? Uh, You know, they hear us, but it's now time to act upon solutions to include everybody. And it's people who can work as well, not to claw black their their wages as well. You know, it's disincentivizing for people uh, who can work as well. Uh, it's it's something that we need the government to understand that disability is something that is expensive. Disability is something that people can can happen to anyone at any time, Rick. So we just need to be proactive rather than uh, reactive in terms of uh, supporting all persons and people with disabilities here. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Anthony Frazina, Director of Media Relations with the Ontario Disability Coalition. A uh, Another rally for ODSP is happening later on today in front of Queen's Park. Do, do you think they're listening and do you think action is going to come, I don't know, sometime next year, within the next few months? What does your gut tell you? Well, at this point, you know, Rick, uh, as a member of the disability community myself, uh, disability uh, action really happens at a snail's pace. So while they are listening to us, while they're hearing us, we really do need to see the uh, action take place. We really do need to see more forthright action. We really need to see more action to to cultivate solutions rather than uh, problems, so to speak. There has been a call to double ODSP rates now. We know that the provincial government has balanced the books. Now would be a good time to do so, would it not? Absolutely. Uh, people right now who live on ODSP uh, only are making $1,200 for that's for a single person. And that's really 40 to 50% low the poverty line. So we really need to increase ODSP so people can have a live with dignity, uh, have a life, uh, a better quality of life, live with uh, respect. And, you know, and that will be more in- incentivizing to uh, finding gains and sustainable employment. It's, it's something, and as we're now, we're concluding um, Ontario Disability Employment Awareness Month, too. So it's something that really just needs to be more more prevalent to the community, that people with disabilities uh, deserve opportunities as well. Uh, we have 90 more seconds with uh, Anthony Frazina, Director of Media Relations with the Ontario Disability Coalition. He'll be involved in the uh, latest rally for ODSP at Queen's Park. It happens uh, tomorrow at 11 a.m. How many people are you expecting to come out? Uh, we're expecting uh, in and around three to 400 people uh, rallying the government to actually make the changes that really benefit uh, people with disabilities and the community at large, because we are the largest minority group. Uh, and as I said earlier, disability can happen to anyone at any time. So it's something that really just needs to be more more out there to the community to ensure that we all live lives that we want to live with dignity and with respect. Anthony, we wish you uh, the best of luck tomorrow, and hopefully the government will begin to uh, not only listen, but begin to take some action as well. Awesome, Rick. Thanks so much. Go, let's go. <laughs> you got it. Anthony Frazina, Director of Media Relations, Ontario Disability Coalition. You can find out more information uh, by Googling the ODSP Action Coalition, Ontario Disability Coalition. Uh, they're also on social media with the hashtags Rally for ODSP, ODS Poverty, Not a Choice, and Double ODSP Now. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. As we know... 
Kids get excited. You know, adults might get excited as well to get some uh, candy and some treats tonight. So it is important to do so safely. And here to help us out in that regard is Krista Lee Ernst, Constable with the Hamilton Police Service. Krista Lee, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. Thanks so much for having me on this uh, Halloween morning that Mother Nature has set the tone for. What was your favorite treat on Halloween that you were open your bag at the end of the night and you th- this was the first thing you were grabbing? Well, that's a hard one because I'm a go-to candy corn, but we didn't necessarily <laughs> get those. Um, but a Reese's Pieces is going to have to be my choice. That combination of chocolate and peanut butter mm. is for me, that's for sure. What about yourself? That is a win-win. You know, you know what? You nailed one of my favorites of all time, Reese's Pieces or Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Anything with chocolate and peanut butter, um, y- you got me. You got me. Yeah. Maybe throwing a little nougat there as well. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This is, as we know, a fun night for children, but it's also, uh, you know, important for them to trick or treat safely. What safety measures should those little ones keep top of mind? So there's lots of things that we should keep in mind, but first of all, uh, what a, a wonderful event for our community to celebrate all of our youth and children and even parents. When we're out there, make sure that if it is possible for parents to put any reflective tape on the back of their costumes, um, if it isn't, head out to the dollar store today and get some of those glow sticks. Make sure that your children are well lit. They're staying in groups if you um, have a child that's over 12 and they'd like to go on their own. Um, make sure that you're giving them reminders to stay in groups of a minimum three. Let your parents know where you're going. Let your guardians know where you're going. Don't visit houses that are not well lit. Use sidewalks whenever possible. Um, If you're doing a grid pattern, try and do one side of the street and then cross over and do the alternative side of the street. Avoid crossing back and forth in the street so there's less roadway traffic. Put your name, your child's name. If you've got a little one, there's going to be, um, at times, large groups around some of these areas in these home um, rural areas. And make sure that the name, phone, and address are on their costume if it's possible. We've all got those tags that we have to tag our children's clothing for school, so just toss one on their costume as well. Um, it is getting quite dark out um, early, so if you have, like I said, uh, maybe some glow sticks, a flashlight, if... A cell phone is a good idea if they may have one. Discuss in advance, where, what routine are you going to do? What route are you going to take? Um, talk to your kids. Have those conversations around the dinner table before they head out. Set a time to meet back up and check in points with your kids. Um, tell them not to eat any candy before they go home. And uh, for those parents and guardians, please make sure that you're reviewing the candy before um, your children and youth are, are eating it and make sure that it's in its original package. If it looks odd, then just discard it and move on to the next. Yeah, there'll be lots to choose from, I'm sure. Constable Crystal Lee Ernst is our guest, Hamilton Police Service, as we go through some uh, tips and advice for trick-or-treaters tonight. We should also mention that these, or many of these, apply to motorists as well. We want those behind the wheel to be as safe as those who are on the sidewalks. Absolutely. This goes for all community members, whether it be motorists, homeowners, um, you know, those motorists make sure that they're extra vigilant and be cognizant that there may be distractions or um, more foot traffic, more pedestrians crossing uh, potentially in unmarked areas. Uh, Again, we want to make sure that everyone is crossing in marked areas and making sure that we're in large groups. For homeowners, we want to make sure that you're turning on those outdoor lights so that it's well lit for the, the children and youth and make sure that if there is an out, uh, a burnt-out light bulb, 
replace that one before the kids head out today. Remove any objects in your yard that may be a tripping hazard. If you've got some of those great decorations on your your lawn, make sure that maybe it's gated off or taped off. Sweep any leaves because it is wet out there today, so that is going to um, cause extra sl- uh, slipping hazards. Yeah, you reminded me, i got to clean up my leaves. Uh, <laughs> Hamilton Police <laughs> uh, ready for their trick-or-treat event tonight as well. You can attend any of the police services three stations this evening from 6 until 8 p.m. at 155 King William Street, 2825 King Street East, or 400 Rymel Road East. All great tips, all great advice from Krista Lee Ernst. Constable Ernst, thanks for joining us this morning, and uh, have a great Halloween. Thanks so much for having me, Rick, and we hope to see some of those community members out at our stations tonight between 6 and 8. Take care. That would be awesome. That is Constable Krista Lee, Ernst Hamilton Police. Uh, Another tip, too, for parents and maybe for kids as well, if you have your electronic device, just put it in your pocket, you know, unless you need the flashlight, but don't be staring at your phone as you're walking down the sidewalk, because who knows, you might trip or fall or bump into someone else or uh, or something even worse. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Halloween, as we know, is not just for children. Well, our adults get into the fun. Many people love getting into the spooky season by watching horror movies. The question is, which horror flicks and which movie characters are the scariest? Who's at the top of your list when you think of the all-time scariest movies or movie villains, horror movie killers, if you will? Well, someone's actually sat down and studied this. After studying 162 horror movies and movie franchises, a research team has determined the most heinous Hollywood horror movie villains of all time. This report comes from claims.co.uk, which looked to identify the most effective horror movie killers, analyzing death counts and jump scares. So, they, I mean, they really dug deep in terms of uh, analyzing all these different statistics. So what they have compiled is a top 10 list of the most effective Hollywood and uh, Halloween villains and the top 10 Halloween killers. So let's look at the the villains to start. And uh, the top 10 list, again, this is based on jump scares, uh, average kills per movie. <laughs> don't want to get too graphic. But uh, you know what a horror movie is. They, they, the, the goal is to scare us. Scare us out of our clothes. Um, so number 10 on the list of most effective Halloween villains is Bo from House of Wax. And uh, the villain's effectiveness score out of 10 for Bo from House of Wax was 6.29. You get a sense at how accurate or how really detailed these scores are. And number 9 on the list, actually tied for 10th, is Chucky. From the Child's Play series. Again, with a score of 6.29. In ninth is Ghostface from the Scream franchise. Seventh, tied for seventh, actually, is Creeper from Jeepers Creepers 1 and 3. And The Blob. The original Blob is on the list of most effective Halloween villains. They each received a score of 6.78. Tied for fifth. Man, there's a lot of ties on this list. Uh, Mask Man from The Den... And Death Angel from A Quiet Place and A Quiet Place 2 with scores of 7.110 or (laughs) 7.10 out of 10. Third on the list of most effective Halloween villains is Kayako. Am I saying that right? Kayako? Kayako? Uh, 
From the Grudge series, 7.58. Nowhere near number one on the list. Number two on the list, I was kind of surprised by this one, The Werewolf from the American Werewolf series, a score of 7.74. And to the delight of horror fans, the data reveals that at the top of the most terrifying Halloween villains with a score of 8.71 out of 10, this villain earns the score through their infectious desire for murder, killing on average a horrifying 18 people per film. Not only that, but also providing jump scares at an average of 11 times per movie, keeping you and I on the edge of our seat. Number one on the most effective Halloween villain list is... It's been four years since Michael Myers vanished without a trace. I was certain that I saw him watching me. You pretend like you moved on, but you're actually just obsessed with death. What are you going to do when Michael comes back for you? Because he is coming. You came here to kill me, so do it. Oh, he does a lot of it. Mike Myers, number one on the list when it comes to the most villainous horror movie characters of all time. And no surprise, that is a great pick, a great movie franchise, which apparently just ended, although there is talk of making more of them. <laughs> and why not? If they're still making money, keep on going. That's what I say. Uh, another list compiled of the top 10 Hollywood killers. And so this is the villain in a particular movie or franchise that has killed the most people in this movie. Uh, tied for 10th is, is Creeper from Jeepers Creepers and the Alien from the Alien series. They have 19 deaths. Death Angel from A Quiet Place, Quiet Place 2 with 20 deaths. Werewolf from an American Werewolf series is in 7th with 21. Chucky has contributed to 24 movie deaths. He's in 6th, or they are in 6th. Gabriel from Malignant is number 5 on the top 10 Halloween killers list with 30 deaths. Ghostface at number 4 from the Scream franchise in at number 34. Here's the blob again. Maybe one of the original scary characters. I know we had Dracula and Frankenstein and the werewolf, but the blob getting it done. 38 kills in the blob movie. Number two on the list of top 10 Halloween killers is Michael Myers from the Halloween franchise. 106 deaths caused by Michael Myers. Number one on the list of the top 10 Halloween killers is... Hello? I don't think anyone's here. Hey, was that house of wax? It is wax. Literally. This is weird. Look how detailed this is. Tell me this doesn't look real. You're saying that that's a real person underneath? They're all wax, everyone. I'll tell you what's going on. A lot of killings going on. Bo from the House of Wax, number one on the list of most kills in a movie or movie franchise. Top 10 Halloween killers. Bo, House of Wax, 154 deaths. That's a lot of killing going on. 
not necessarily your typical prototypical slasher movie, but uh, killing a lot of characters in uh, just a short amount of time. A 113-minute film, he wastes 154 people. That's a huge proportion of film fatalities. Michael Myers, uh, cumulatively, over all the movies, killed 106 people. That's 48 behind House of Wax in one film. Unbelievable. So I guess you're getting your money's worth if you like deaths in a movie. I don't know. To each their own. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. If you hoil it, choose your adventure. You stack yo to Coyle! Is that the goal that sets Canada to Qatar? Thanks to One Soccer for the sounds. That happened many months ago, and it turned out that was the goal that sent Canada's men's national team to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup, which kicks off three weeks from today as Canada gets ready to showcase its talent to the world. You can read about it. Our next guest has written a story about it at globalnews.ca. How Team Canada has captured the imagination of a country. Saba Aziz is a national online journalist with Global News, has covered major international sports events, including the 2019 FIFA Club World Cup in Qatar. Saba joins us now. Saba, good morning. How are you today? Hi, good morning, Rick, uh, and a happy Halloween. Thanks so much for, for having me on your show. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We know that um, many countries like Brazil, uh, Germany, France, they wait four years to see their country participate in the World Cup. Canadians have had to wait nearly four decades to see their team. Do you feel the excitement building? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, like you said, we're just three weeks away from, from the start of the, the World Cup in Qatar. And, and certainly this time around, there's, there's greater national interest in the event and excitement given that Team Canada is qualified. Um, and this is only the second time in, in the history of the Soccer World Cup that the men's national team have done so. Uh, we know that the women have had a decorated pass, most recently winning the Olympic gold in Tokyo last year. Uh, but for the men's national soccer team, it has been a long, long time coming, um, you know, for sports and soccer fans. It's been a wait of, of nearly four decades, 36 years to be exact. And, and after all the highs and lows supporting the team, um, they're finally going to see them uh, compete in, in one of the biggest and, and most spot. Uh, watch sports sporting events in the world. I remember in 1986, I was in elementary school, and each time Canada played, uh, and this I think was maybe just their first game because the tournament was held in the summer. But we uh, gathered in the gym, watched the game on TV. Do you do you get the sense that that might be happening from coast to coast this year? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, 1986, I wasn't around when that happened, but you know, from from my uh, conversations with some sports fans who've been longtime supporters, you know. They, they, you know, they vividly remember watching the team play and, and, you know, they were really outgunned. I think at that time it was, uh, I think they played the USSR, Hungary and France and, and, and did not really, you know, manage to um, score or score a single goal. But, but according to the experts and analysts I spoke to for, for this story that I did, um, they've got a reasonably, um, you know, better chance, uh, even though they're really going in as, as the clear uh, underdog. Um, so it's, it's going to be, you know, a, a tough ask, but uh, it should be a good one, a uh, good one to watch in three weeks' time. Canada opens the World Cup November 23rd against Belgium, which is the odds-on favorite to win Group F. Croatia and Morocco also in Group F. Uh, Saba Aziz is a national online journalist with Global News, and we have her for a couple more minutes here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Bubbling underneath the hype of the World Cup is the the human rights and the inclusivity issues that have popped up uh, and have been identified in Qatar. 
Do you think this is going to at all take away from some of the excitement surrounding the tournament? Yeah, I think, you know, ever since uh, Qatar actually uh, won the bid, there have been all sorts of you know, controversies around, you know, um, them being awarded the event. And now, um, you know, in the lead up, there's uh, all these uh, concerns around the human rights uh, issues in the country. And, and Canada Soccer actually came out with their own statement. Um, I think um, leaving all that aside, as soon as the 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 football starts, uh, it's, it's going to maybe not be overshadowed uh, because it's, it's a once in a four years sort of event. And, and I think all the attention will most likely, uh, you know, turn to to the soccer. But uh, this is the while all of this is happening in the background. But I, I don't think it should be much of, of an issue uh, once once the event starts on November 20th. I would agree with you on that one. Saba, really appreciate your time. Enjoy the World Cup. Thank you, Rick. Have a good one. You too. Saba Aziz, national online journalist, Global News, has covered many major international sports events, was in Qatar for the 2019 FIFA Club World Cup. Um, Canada Soccer issuing a statement saying Canada Soccer supports the ongoing pursuit to further progress regarding workers' rights and inclusivity as Qatar prepares to host the World Cup. I'm sure it'll be under the microscope, but as we know, when the tournament kicks off, it will certainly... Uh, not be a bubbling over issue, um, at least during the tournament, although they do have to make some strides to get better. No doubt about it. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.